This week on Geek Explained, we're kicking off Volume 4 of the podcast with the top 5 comics you should be reading in 2021. Welcome back to Geek Explained. I'm your host, Eric Azana, and today's episode is the very first episode of year four. That's right, four years we are kicking things off. We celebrated our three-year anniversary last week, and the train does not stop. We're going to keep on rolling into our yearly tradition of talking about the top five comics you should be reading. This is our 2021 edition, and I'm very excited to talk about the comics that we will be covering today. We also have a brand spanking new wildcard weekly review on the first three episodes of Superman and Lois. I have been loving it, and I cannot wait to talk to you about this show. And of course, rounding out the list, we also have this week's Comics Countdown with some comics that I am very excited to finally read. But before we get into all of that, let's check in with this week's news. All right, guys and dolls, let's talk some news. We have our four categories, film, TV, comics, and miscellaneous. We're going to kick things off with one piece of miscellaneous news because we've got a lot of news in the other categories. (laughs) Um, One piece of miscellaneous news, it was announced this past week. We got promo images, we got the announcement all bundled into one that uh, McFarlane Toys, which has kind of taken over the DC Multiverse line, um, is going to be doing some Snyder Cut toys. So, so far from what we can see we've got superman we've got the main group of justice leaguers as well as a brand spanking new snyder cut dark side um dark side looks really weird i'm sorry maybe it's just the dimensions but um but yeah so if you end up loving snyder cut and you want some of that sweet sweet merch in your home uh you can find those i'm assuming they'll be releasing fairly soon since these look like more um uh, what's it called? Actual like toys rather than the prototypes. They're already like seen in packaging and stuff. So we'll see. We'll see whenever these come out. Hopping over to film news. Four pieces of film news that I want to talk about real quick. First off, the Batman. The Batman by Matt Reeves, starring Robert Battenson as Batten Batten Batman, uh, has finished filming officially after all of the delays from COVID, from all of the different restrictions that were going on in the UK. Uh, They have officially finished principal photography and they are now moving on into the post-production phase. Uh, This makes me really excited and I think it's good news seeing as how it's supposed to be... um, debuting next year so we'll see exactly how that goes but i would say probably expect another trailer during the summer that's what i'm just gonna say i have no reason to think this i'm just gonna throw that out there but 
We'll see. And uh, speaking of DC films, we got a casting announcement for the Flash movie, which is quickly becoming... um, I'm still waiting for uh, them to announce that The Flash will be uh, appearing in this movie, but we got good news towards that because we now know that Maribel Verdu has been cast as Nora Allen. It was stated, I think at some point, that um, uh, Barry Allen's father, uh, Henry Allen, who was played by, oh gosh... um, I can't remember the actor right now. Uh, he was Billy Crudup. That's his name. Um, who played him in the uh, original Justice League film um, is not gonna be able to be part of this Flash film for whatever reason. I think it's just scheduling conflicts. So apparently they have rewritten his part, and he is gonna be given to Nora Allen. I'm not super familiar with Maribel Verdu, but um, I'm all down for more Nora Allen. So that is good stuff. Uh, we also got some big old big big box office news because avatar that's right that big blue people movie uh has officially once again regained the top spot in the uh, highest box office of all time taking the crown from avengers endgame thanks to a big old re-release in china um it's whatever. I mean, <laughs> box office is box office. I still think Avengers Endgame is a much better film than Avatar, but it's whatever, man. It's, you know, everyone's been very gracious about it, congratulating each other. So um, numbers are numbers. It was cool to have Avengers Endgame, you know, take that top spot for a period of time. But we all knew that this was going to happen eventually. So I'm not broken up about it, but it is still a little sad. And then finally, in film news, we got a final trailer for the Snyder Cut which as of this recording is debuting this week this thursday in fact and it looks fine i mean it's showing off all the stuff that we've pretty much already seen um if you are anticipating the snyder cut if you're excited about the snyder cut if you haven't yet uh check out our into the snyderverse series we've been doing a geek explain extra series every single sunday where we map out the uh whole DCEU series going movie by movie alongside my co-hosts AJ Kincaid and Chris Carter and uh, this past Sunday we released our official rankings for the DCEU prior to the release of the Snyder Cut. Uh, We do still have one more episode coming to you with the premiere and review of the Snyder Cut, so keep an eye out for that. But if you want to get caught up, uh, the rest of the episodes of the series are in the feed. Just check back in there and you will find them. Hopping over to TV news, some very exciting TV news. Uh, Speaking of final trailers, we got a final trailer for Falcon and the Winter Soldier, um, which also releases this week. It is a big week for comic book uh, related properties, and it looks great, man. I'm just, I'm honestly, you probably already assumed this, but I am so excited. <laughs> I'm so excited about Falcon and Winter Soldier. Um, it's just, it's going to be fantastic. I already know. Uh, trailer looks great. Effects look great. Action looks great. Casting, acting, the whole thing. I'm very excited. Uh, you've got me on board for this. Uh, we also found out that Cowboy Bebop, the live-action Netflix adaptation, has officially finished filming as well. Uh, we found out on March 15th, uh, which is this past Monday, uh, that... They are officially wrapped filming, and I believe it's still slated for a late 2021 release. If not, uh, I'll 
let you know as soon as I know. Uh, we also got two very exciting uh, pieces of news for DCTV. First off, got the first look at Nick Terabay as Eclipso for Stargirl Season 2. Uh, I really like Eclipso. He's a dumb villain, but I am super into seeing him in this show. I really enjoyed Stargirl Season 1. Um, surprise, surprise. Eric likes, you know, heartfelt, sincere comic book stuff. But... I am very excited because Nick Terabay is a fantastic actor. Um, if you are probably familiar with him most, let's see. Um, I was introduced to him on Spartacus, where he played Asher. Um, a fantastic role for him. Just a despicable human being. And uh, he most recently, with comic book stuff, appeared in the Arrowverse as Captain Boomerang. My boy, Digger Harkness. Um, he didn't get a whole lot of play. I believe he was just for one of the Flash and Arrow crossovers. And then we kind of never saw him again. Um, at least from what I can remember. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But um, yeah, I am excited to see him as Eclipso, and I'm really looking forward to Stargirl Season 2. But I have to talk about this casting announcement because I am over the moon about this. Um, Doom Patrol Season 3, it's coming. I'm very excited about it. Has announced that Madame Rouge will be joining the cast. Uh, if you remember, uh, I believe it was Season 5 or 4. I believe it was five of um, the Teen Titans animated series that really dove into uh, the Brotherhood of Evil, the Doom Patrol, Beast Boy's backstory and all that stuff. Madame Rouge was an awesome character and she's just as awesome in the comics. And now we know that she is going to be just as awesome, if not more awesome in Doom Patrol season three, because she is going to be played by Michelle Gomez. That's right. Missy from Doctor Who is going to be Madame Rouge. And I... Oh my god, I'm very excited about this. Um, I can't stop smiling about it. Ever since I read that announcement, I am just, oh man, I'm very, very excited about this. I cannot wait to see her enter into this wild, weird, and wacky series. I'm I'm super excited about this. Uh, and then finally, we're going to round out the news segment this week with comics news. Four pieces of comics news that I want to talk about real quick. Uh, first off, we got another anthology series announced, Wonder Woman Black and Gold. They're really liking this, you know, black and color series that they're doing. But as long as they're bringing in top-tier talent, I can't complain about it. Uh, reading off of the DC Comics blog from their website... It says, just in time for Wonder Woman's 80th anniversary, DC Comics proudly presents a new six-issue anthology series starring the Amazon princess embellished in the color of her famous lasso. You won't want to miss celebrating the woman who inspires us all, and that's the truth. Uh, so, at least from this first issue, we know the creative team. Uh, it's going to be written, or stories written by uh, John Arcudi, Becky Cloonan, Amy Reeder, AJ Mendez, and Nadia Shamas, with art by Ryan Sook, Becky Cloonan, Amy Reeder, Ming Doyle, and Morgan Beam. And the first issue is going to drop on June 22nd with covers by Jen Bartel. Yes, more Jen Bartel, Wonder Woman. Give it all to me. Uh, Ramona Fredon, uh, yeah. Yannick Paquette and Joshua Middleton. So again, very excited to uh, dive into this stuff. They always do their best to try to get top tier talent on these anthology series. And I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one. And speaking of exciting DC comics news and an 80th anniversary, Green Arrow is celebrating 80 years this year. 
And to celebrate, DC Comics is releasing a Green Arrow 80th Anniversary Spectacular. It is a 100-page, super giant-sized one-shot featuring, as per usual with these 80-year celebration issues, different uh, decade covers. Very excited about this. Um, And we've got pretty much all the creative teams involved on this as well um we have stories let's see here just reading through the thing here okay so we've got stories by and this is the just the list that has been released um mike grell jeff lemire phil hester otto schmidt ben percy tom taylor devin grayson stephanie phillips mariko tamaki rom v uh vita ayala nicholas scott chris mitten laura braga max fiumiera fiumara i'm sorry brandon thomas and more and uh it also released this gorgeous dan mora uh, 80th anniversary cover um i'm very excited about this they also listed off the uh variant cover artists uh 1940s gonna be michael cho give me all the michael cho i love michael cho uh 1950s is daniel warren johnson 60s is neil adams 70s Derek chu 80s gary frank 90s howard porter 2000s jen bartell and 2010s is gonna be simone de mayo um I'm very excited about this. I've been waiting for a Green Arrow book for a while now, ever since the Rebirth one ended, and this will have to uh, sate that appetite for now. Um, We also found out that uh, over on the Marvel side of things, uh, Heroes Reborn, the brand new kind of revival of the 90s event, as well as a recontextualization of it, where the Squadron Supreme is the... Uh, main team of superheroes for the Marvel Universe uh, is going to end in June with a Heroes Return one shot just like uh, the original event did Heroes Return is going to round everything off and we are going to be getting some fun stuff in this big old one shot so I'm very excited about this I'm still really looking forward to Heroes Reborn I'm kind of uh I've kind of gotten cold on the Jason Aaron, uh, Ed McGinnis Avengers run, but I am going to be tuning back in for this because I'm I'm a sucker for Squadron Supreme. They're dumb, but I love them so much. And then finally, in the, in uh, comics news with some Marvel comics here, uh, we found out that there is going to be to celebrate another 80th anniversary that being captain america my boy uh there is going to be a five issue miniseries entitled the united states of captain america where uh steve alongside bucky and sam are going to be and i believe john walker as well let me double check this uh yes It says, uh, per the release, uh, the series will see Steve Rogers teaming up with Captain Americas of the past, Bucky Barnes, Sam Wilson, and John Walker, on a road trip across America to find his stolen shield. Uh, The main team is going to be Christopher Cantwell writing and Dale Eaglesham on art duties. I enjoy both of those uh, creators, and I'm very excited to see them work their magic on this. But we found an interesting wrinkle in this as well. 
because uh, each issue is going to be uh, featuring another creative team introducing a brand new Captain America along the uh, kind of road trip style story where our four captains are going to be meeting other uh, it says, let's see here, da, 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 da. it says it will be joined to introduce a new version of Captain America every single issue. Uh, the first Captain America has been revealed and his name is Aaron Fisher, the Captain America of the Railways. And let's see, da, 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 da. and he is described as a fearless teen who stepped up to protect fellow runaways and the unhoused. He looks, he looks pretty cool. I like it. I'm, I'm a sucker for, you know, street wear converted into superhero costumes. And he's got this nice little overalls converted into a cap costume. Um, I just, I really dig the design and it reminds me of shout out to uh, good brother and uh, a contributor to this podcast, Kale, Kanan Bactel. Uh, he actually did a cosplay of Captain America, kind of making his own like redneck Captain America. And it looks very similar to this. It's, it's hilarious. I sent it to him. Um, because I am pretty sure he's going to have to lawyer up pretty soon here to uh, sue Marvel for copyright infringement. But I really like this. Uh, it's also been stated that since the series debuts in June, uh, this character, Aaron Fisher, was uh, created in honor of Pride Month. And it says Aaron is inspired by heroes of the queer community, activists, leaders, and everyday folks pushing for a better life. He stands for the oppressed and the forgotten. I hope this debut story resonates with readers and helps inspire the next generation of heroes. That was said by um, ba, 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 Joshua Trujillo, who is going to be uh, joining alongside artist uh, Jan Bazaldwa. I'm sorry, um, who are going to be debuting Aaron Fisher. So it kind of sounds like these, uh, the main story by Christopher Cantwell and Dale Eaglesham is going to be the crux of the book. And then there will be a backup kind of introducing a different new Captain America in each of the five issues with their own creative team to kind of flesh out that character. So I'm really excited about this. I'm, you know, I'm excited about Captain America. You know, I'm excited about this 80 year United States of Captain America series. And now we're going to be getting representations of Captain America interpretations of the character. And I'm always down to see that. So uh, that wraps up comic book news and that wraps up the news segment for this week. Lots of news to talk about. Out. But speaking of comic books, we're going to roll right on into the main event of this episode, the entree, if you will, which is the top five comics you should be reading, yes you, in 2021. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, nerds of all ages, it is that time of year again. It is the time of year where I talk about the top five comics you should be reading. 
I have been so excited putting this list together. Um, it's been difficult. I got to let you know, putting just a top five together with the amount of good comics that are going on right now, it was really difficult, which I guess is a good thing. But uh, man, this is a tough list to put together. But... As you know, every year we do this. We talk about the top five comics you should be reading every single year. Uh, this is going to kind of function like our comics countdown each week where I talk about the comics that I think you should be reading. More on that later, of course. But I'll be talking about each book's title, the creative team behind it, a brief synopsis of the series, and then just kind of talking about why sh you should be reading it. You know, this was the... Um, this was the focus, this was the topic of the very first Geek Explained episode. So here we are, you know, heading into our fourth year of the podcast, over 150 episodes, and we are continuing to keep the spirit of that very first episode alive. Before we get into the top five list, I do want to go over some honorable mentions. These are books that didn't quite make the list, but were oh so close. Uh, first off, I got to talk about it. Strange Adventures, written by Tom King with art by Mitch Jarrods and Doc Shaner. Man, what a fantastic book this has been. You know, talking about war and the idea that you know, war changes people and just going through all of the stuff, you know, Tom King's best work is when he really draws from his experiences and Strange Adventures is no exception. You know, this slots right in with Vision, Mr. Miracle, all of the great Tom King work that you can think of. This slots right in there and gives you a little bit of uh, some space battling as well. Big, big fan of this, and it's been a fantastic ride so far. Also got to talk about, of course, Firepower. Firepower by Robert Kirkman with art by Chris Somney. What a wonderful book. I just, I love me some martial arts books. I love me some just kung fu fighting stories. Um, the story of Owen Johnson, you know, finding out about the firepower, his heritage, you know, trying to settle in with a normal life following the events of the prologue uh, trade paperback. It's fantastic. It's a great story. Chris Somney's art is amazing. Stellar every single issue. And I just can't get enough of this book. It's been so, so freaking good. Also want to talk about Strange Academy. We got a strange double feature here in the honorable mentions. Uh, strange Academy is so much fun. Like if you are kind of a young reader or you're looking for something that is just kind of you know popcorn fun strange academy is it taking this hogwarts style approach without all the problematic creators involved in it uh written by um scotty young with art by umberto ramos i have just really dug this book you know getting into all of the magicy magicy stuff that happens kind of on the periphery of the marvel universe um especially with all of the MCU kind of shifting towards more magic stuff, Scarlet Witch and WandaVision, um, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I think we're going to be shifting more towards a magic focus. So now is the perfect time to jump on a magic book that kind of gives you a roadmap of all of the weird uh, 
magic stuff that's going on in the Marvel universe and having just a fantastic cast of characters and the students, the teachers, it's just, it's a great book, great ride, and I cannot recommend it enough. And then finally on honorable mentions, this, I can definitively say this is like number six on our top five. It was so close to making the list. It's Captain America, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates with a bevy of different artists on the book. It's so good. It's so good. I did fall off on it for a little bit. Uh, the Jason Masters art just really was not um, doing it for me. Uh, but after a wonderful recommendation from a uh, regular contributor to the podcast, Malcolm Russell Nelson, um, I got back on and I've been loving it so far. It's a fantastic book. Ta-Nehisi Coates is kind of riding high right now. Killing it on Captain America, killing it on Black Panther, and tapped to, to write a new Superman film. Um, this is just pure Ta-Nehisi Coates writing at a time that we need Ta-Nehisi Coates writing. So definitely check this book out. But with all of those honorable mentions out of the way, let's talk about the top five books you should be reading in 2021. Kicking things off... We have at number five, Far Sector. That's right. It's still on the list, though it has gone from number one to number five. Why is this, you ask? Eric, you know how much you love the book. You know how much we love the book. Why is Far Sector so low on the list? I have to put it this low because there's only two issues left. Um... That doesn't mean that this book is bad or that it's dropped in quality or that, you know, it's a book that I couldn't recommend. If it's top five, best believe these are all amazing books that you should be reading. But it does drop a little bit for me um, just because there's only two issues left and I don't want to say, you know, Far Sector number one, you should be reading this in 2021 when you're only going to get two issues of it left. Um, I absolutely love this book. Stu, the creative team, N.K. Jemison writing, Jamal Campbell on art. Uh, synopsis real quick. Uh, for the past six months, newly chosen Green Lantern sojourner Joe Moline has been protecting the city enduring, a massive metropolis of 20 billion people. The city has maintained peace has maintained peace for over 500 years by stripping its citizens of their ability to feel. As a result, violent crime is virtually unheard of and murder is non-existent. But that's all about to change. So, um, just an incredible story. Of course it was going to be on the list, but like I said, um... It has to drop because there's only two issues left of the book. And I, you know, I've, of course, recommended it beat out all these other books because it's amazing. Um, two years running. It's on the list two years running. And it is still a fantastic space noir story. You know, you've got Joe Mullane, who is the best Green Lantern since Kyle Rayner. You can fight me on that. And she is just such a great uh, foil to all of the Green Lanterns of the past. And I was really excited to see her join up with the Justice League in Future State, but it makes me very nervous that she hasn't popped up in solicits for any other books. Um, so I am focusing as much as I can on the last two issues of this because I love her as a character. I love the story. She's doing a fantastic job as Green Lantern and I want to see more of her. Uh, her her design is just one of the best Green Lantern designs ever and she is just a space cop. Like She really embodies that idea of the Green Lantern core 
And she is such a firecracker where she just won't take any shit from anybody. She goes off on her own, regardless of whether it's the right or wrong thing to do. She leads with her head and her heart. And she's a great character that needs to get more shine. She needs to pop up in other books. But I will say, um, having the team of uh, Jemison and Campbell together just is perfection. The art is stellar. Jamal Campbell is absolutely wonderful. Uh, I think I talked about last year when this was our number one um, about how it feels very Mass Effect-y. And I still feel that way, you know, all these issues on... It really gives you that space vibe. You feel like this is a far-flung location out on the outer rims of the galaxy. Uh, the mystery surrounding Jo Moline as a character. Why is she Green Lantern? What is up with her ring? All of these things, along with the overarching mystery of why are crimes suddenly happening in a place where they really shouldn't, is just worth the time, worth the reading, and you absolutely need to be reading this book. Um, like I said, it is ending soon, though. The next issue is 11 of 12, uh, the penultimate issue, and that is going to drop on April 6th. So I believe as of this recording, let me check this out here. Um, it is two weeks, no, three weeks away. So it's going to be dropping. Uh, DC Books drop on the 6th, which is why you're going to see some discrepancies between uh, different uh, release dates for certain books. But trust and believe, this book is going to be there for you on the 7th on your normal uh, New Comic Book Wednesdays. But it does release on... Um, wherever DC gets, you know, their releases on Tuesdays and, of course, on digital on April 6th. So that is number five, kicking things off with the DC book you knew I would and kicking it off with the number one from last year. So I think consistency is the name of the game here. And when you talk about last year's list to this year's list, you got to talk about books that have jumped from the honorable mentions into the main top five list. And... I think you all knew this was going to be on here somewhere at number four, jumping from honorable mentions to the big leagues at number four on our list is Thor written by Donnie Cates art by Nick Klein Klein. Um, man, what a great freaking Thor book. Uh, let's read the synopsis. The prince is now a king. All Asgard lies before Thor, the god of thunder, and after many months of war, the Ten Realms are finally at peace. But the skies above the Realm Eternal are never clear for long. The Black Winter is coming, and the god of the storm will be powerless before it. Now, when this book started off, we all kind of knew that it had some pretty big shoes to fill. You know, going from Jason Aaron, Russell Dodderman, just their epic story of Thor alongside, of course, a bevy of incredible artists, including bookending the series, Asad Ribic, um, or Rivich, I don't know, I'm sorry. Um, when the team was announced, Donnie Cates, Nick Klein, um, I think we all knew that this was going to be a very different book. This was going to be very different from the more fantastical um, space odyssey, I guess, that the uh, Aaron Age really was. And we knew that Donny Cates, when you talk about his work with Cosmic Ghost Rider, Thanos, and of course with Venom, 
It's going to bring a darker edge to the story. He was going to bring his own Donny Cates personal flair. And though he has really established himself alongside um, Ryan Stegman with a very almost uh, Snyder and Capullo level partnership, when they announced that he was going to be partnering with Nick Klein, I got really excited. I really dig Nick Klein's art, and the two of them kick things off with a very divisive, at least for me, a very divisive new Thor design, which brought him very much into the Donny Cates wheel of uh, metal as fuck like designs. And with a little bit of tweaks here and there after that first arc, I think we've settled into what I think is a near perfect Thor redesign. But the thing that really gets me about this story is that it is OG Odinson. This is Back to basics Thor, where he is wielding his hammer, he's fighting for Asgard against threats both out in space as well as terrestrial. And putting the focus back on Odinson after we had gotten through this saga of the Jane Foster mighty Thor really was kind of a sharp contrast. Jane Foster's doing her thing as the Valkyrie right now, and Odinson, you know, kicked off this series as... The King of Asgard, following the War of the Realms, and with all of the twists and turns, including the Black Winter, Galactus, um, a really great two-part story that I hold near and dear to my heart with art by Nick Cuter, as well as this new current Prey storyline, this is going to be a Thor for the ages. It has reignited my passion for the character after I was really disheartened, after uh, I heard that Aaron was leaving the title. Of course, we got what I think is probably the best um, ending for the character, but there are, of course, because of the nature of comic books, more stories to tell. There will always be more stories to tell, and Donny Cates and Nick Klein have taken this, you know, this task of taking a character who was defined by the Aaron era in stride and really put their own stamp on the character and really have kind of taken this idea of, oh, you know, Donny Cates is kind of the event book. He, you know, he has a just, he goes for Flash. This is Flash and Substance. This is a book that knows what you're expecting and decides to subvert your ex expectations while also giving you tons of heart, lots of character development, lots of drama, and world building out the wazoo. I have been absolutely adoring this story and the current storyline where they brought back Donald Blake and turned him into a serial killer has been so refreshing, not just for the Donald Blake character, but also for the uh, greater Thor mythology. You know, Donald Blake is hunting down all of the former Thors, going after Thunderstrike, going after Throg to his own peril. And, you know, uh, kind of recontextualizing Donald Blake as a character as well, you know, making, almost retconning it, that he was a creation of Odin, not just a person who suddenly was imbued by Thor. I really, really have been digging this series. I think it is just going from strength to strength to strength, and I can't wait to see where the book goes next. And speaking of where the book goes next, the next issue, issue number 13, drops today. As of this episode dropping on March 17th of 2021, uh, 
Issue 13 is out today, so go pick it up. Go check it out. This book has been so fantastic, and you owe it to yourself to go read it. So that is why it is at my number four. And number three, we have another book that was not on the list last year, but through sheer force of will and storytelling has made its way into the number three spot, and that is... X-Men. I absolutely love this book. Let's talk about the creative team. Jonathan Hickman running the game, running the whole X-Men wave right now from House of X, Powers of Ten, into Dawn of X, Ten of Swords, and now into the Reign of X. Currently, the book is being written or uh, being illustrated by Mahmoud Azrar. I love Mahmoud Azrar, though other artists have contributed to the book as well. Um, I just love this freaking book, guys. I just, I really, really do. Let's talk about the synopsis real quick. Dawn of X. The X-Men find themselves in a whole new world of possibility, and things have never been better. There is no place to hide, no place to run. The mutant age has now begun. This is a new X-Men age, and this is going to go down, I think, in the history books as something as pivotal to the X-Men history as the Grant Morrison redesign when they took the X-Men into the 21st century. And this is, I think, that for modern audiences for the 2020s this is a complete 180 for the x-men how they were portrayed how they were treated in marvel comics and turning it into this epic saga of multiple lives of world building finding a place in the world and reinstating the x-men and mutants as a whole as a superpower in the world of the marvel universe and i have just been loving it from issue to issue to issue you know kicking things off with house of 10 going into powers of or house of x got you got me god Oh, that's the only thing. Um, The confusing 10 and X thing is just, it's killing me on the inside and on the outside. Um, But the House of X powers of 10 kick off with Jonathan Hickman, Pepe Larraz, um, just really, oh my God. And Arby Silva, of course, can't forget Arby Silva. Um, Really just hit the emergency break on the x-men and said no this is what we're doing now and ever since that it has been just a whole hell of a roller coaster ride i have been loving every single chapter of it hickman always comes to a new project with a plan if you don't know that by now i don't know what to tell you when we talk about uh whether it's the ultimates whether we talk about um Fantastic Four, Avengers, Secret Wars, all of this stuff. He has a long-term plan, which sometimes can rub people the wrong way. I know he's very slow burn with what he is trying to accomplish with any given series. But as it stands, I am loving 
the current era of the X-Men. You know, there's tons of X-Books going on right now. Marauders, Hellions, X-Force. We have the Sword Book going on. That's probably, I think, the newest out of all of them. Excalibur, these books that are directed by Hickman, but are allowing other creators to live and breathe in this world. But the main X-Men book is the one that takes the cake for me because it focuses on my favorite group in that whole mutant agenda, which is the Summers family, the Summers drama, Scott Summers, Jean Grey, um, the rest of them. <laughs> um, but And also a little peppering of Wolverine in there too with their weird polyamorous relationship, whatever's going on there. But the main X-Men book, if you are trying to keep up to date with what is going on with the X-Men currently, um, is the place to be for it. Uh, for me especially, because again, I love the Summers family. Cyclops is my boy. He will always be that way. And as we are starting to move along here... That is going to be the book that is as it was when this whole, you know, Dawn of X thing started. It's going to be the flagship. Jonathan Hickman is writing this book. So you know that this is going to kind of lead the charge in the direction that he's going. And through all of this whole reboot, the soft reboot of the X-Men talking about, you know, Moira X, the lives of Moira X, establishing Krakoa as this mutant, you know, um, sanctuary, this island where all mutants are welcome, getting rid of the concept of death with all of the resurrections, uh, the House of X setting up a quiet council, these captains, all of this incredible world building that Hickman is known for is all just kind of a backdrop to these incredible stories that we are getting to witness inside of the of these books. Uh, I've been loving Marauders. Marauders has been incredible. The story of Kate Pride on her ship alongside Emma Frost and them rebelling against Sebastian Shaw has been incredible. Getting to learn about the stories of the Hellions, even though it's not, I think, the strongest book out of the group. Um, Excalibur going old school, you know, multiversity swords and shields and mass and mystical mastery. Um, it's just been great. There's a book in the X titles for literally everybody, whether you're a newcomer to the X Men, a longtime fan. Whether you like more genre-style storytelling or you just want old-school X-Men punch-em-ups. Like, there is a book for literally every kind of comic book reader in this wave. And X-Men has consistently, for me, continued to be that standard-bearer, telling incredible stories focused around a tight group of individuals. And it's also led into one of my favorite X-Men events of all time. That's right boys and girls, I have finally caught up on Ten of Swords. I read it. It was fantastic. I loved every bit of it. Oh, man. Oh, man. It's been a whole thing. You know, I've been waiting to catch up on this because I was not going to pick up 22 issues just week to week to week. But on top of all the other books that I'm reading. Um, but Getting to sit down and read it all was a treat and really gets me excited to see where the X-Men go uh, next. Because as it stands, the current arc 
is uh, pretty exciting. We had a group of X-Men, that being Wolverine, Laura Kinney, uh, Darwin, and Sink going into the vault to try and combat the city. And that's the current arc that's going on right now with Arpai Mamudas Rar. And we are getting to find out what happened to them because they've been in there a real long time. And going forward, we've got a lot of stuff going on. The Hellfire Gala is coming very soon. Uh, they just released, as of this recording, the um, the looks for some of the X-Men. They look bonkers and very Met Gala, which I kind of really, really love. Um, and they look gorgeous. All designs by, again, Russell Dodderman, who is absolutely killing it. Um, and we are going to get a whole brand new team of X-Men. If you haven't listened to our episode uh, where I was joined by, for every kind of geeks, uh, Doug Smith, we each built a brand new X-Men team with all of the current X-Men available to us um, in kind of celebration of the upcoming Hellfire Gala where they're going to be announcing a brand new X-Men team that will be their representatives of Krakoa to the outside world. Uh Big things are happening. We are going to find that out very soon. And now is the time to jump onto these X-Men books. Um, just read them. <laughs> I have never been as big of a fan of the X-Men in the last, you know, 10, 15 years as I am right this second. And if you need to get caught up on these books, do so. Check out the House of X Powers of 10, you know, Check out Hoxpox if you want to know what's going on, you know, the, get the flavor of this. And if that catches your interest, if you're intrigued by that, check out the books that are in the current wave. You know, like I said, there is a book for every kind of comic book reader. But the one that I recommend, the one that counts the spot for me is the mainline X-Men book. And the next issue of, of this mainline X-Men book is going to be issue number 19 on March 30. First. So that gives you plenty of time. Get caught up on Hoxpox. Get caught up on the main X book. Uh, find any other X books you want to read. Catch up on Ten of Swords. It's wonderful. I'm so happy I'm finally caught up on it. So that you can be here and you can be ready for the next chapter in the X saga. So that is my number three X Men, Jonathan Hickman, Mahmoud Azrar currently. It is worth your time. Read it. Which brings us to our top two, and I gotta say, I went back and forth on these a little bit, but this is where I settled at. And number two on the list is a book that is dropping today, and that is Nightwing. Nightwing is our number two, written by Tom Taylor, art by Bruno Redondo, um... I cannot tell you how excited I am about this book. I'm not going to cover the synopsis in this segment. I'm going to leave that for the comics countdown later on. Spoiler alert, it's going to be on that list. But I have not been this excited about a Nightwing book in a very, very long time. I'm so excited about it that I'm putting it on the list without even reading it. I think last year I did the same thing with uh, Spider-Man Life Story. And look how that turned out. One of the best Spider-Man episodes of all time. Or one of the best Spider-Man books. And one of my favorite episodes of all time with the podcast. I cried. Enough said. Um, but Nightwing has been in a weird place for a very long time. You can hear our, our neighbor's dog is very excited about Nightwing. Big, big fan of Nightwing. 
But Nightwing has been on a bit of a roller coaster ride for a very long time when it comes to his character. Um, I was very excited when Rebirth happened and we were getting this whole new push for Nightwing. He's back in blue. He's back in Bloodhaven. He's dealing with all of this, all of these different things. And I really, I honestly, okay, I loved the Nightwing book. For a good long while, I really enjoyed everything that they were trying to do, building out a rogue alley for him, making his his Bloodhaven so distinct from Gotham that you could finally tell the two cities apart. Um, but then, uh, then something happened. Then something happened, and by something I mean Rick Grayson. Rick Grayson was a interesting time when I wanted or I was excited to see new things happen for the character, but I was not excited by what these new things were because when I think, hey, let's freshen up Nightwing, let's give him some new stuff to do, some new stuff to deal with, I think let's take Nightwing and put him in new situations. What DC Comics decided to do was, hey, let's put him in the same situations, but make him a different person. So for those of you who don't know what the hell I'm talking about, uh, shortly after the uh, non-wedding of Batman and Catwoman, Nightwing was shot in the head by KG Beast, causing him to have amnesia. And this kicked off a whole new saga for Nightwing, where he became Rick Grayson. R-I-C. Rick Grayson. Which basically negated the uh, need for a Red Hood book because he was basically just Jason Todd. That's it. It boggles the mind why they thought this would work. Um, but I will say they tried their best. They gave us a whole new team of Nightwings, which I actually enjoyed. They gave us B, who was a really nice character that I enjoyed for a time. And they kind of started the countdown clock to say, you know, eventually Dick's going to come back. But that notwithstanding, and the, um, the way that they wrapped it up, which I will say was inventive by saying like, oh, he can recover from his amnesia, but he is that, you know, progress is being halted by the Court of Owls who want a blank slate so that they can create a new talent. Cool. Callbacks to the Snyder Capullo era. I'm fine with that. But it just, it took too long. It really, it really took too long. There were so many things that happened. The end of Tom King's run needed Nightwing to be there, and he wasn't, which sucked. He didn't get to be Dick Grayson at the funeral for Alfred Pennyworth. He was just Rick, who was just a guy who was there. And it bothers me that they spent so much time with this Rick Grayson character because they just didn't want because Dan Didio had had a hate boner for Dick Grayson for however many years. And I, I don't like to bag on him because he's moved on. We should all move on. But it just, it, it just, it didn't work for me. And I was really frustrated. And when they decided, hey, we're bringing him back for a couple issues before we do a whole new relaunch with him. I was fine with that. I liked how they wrapped up the whole Rick Grayson storyline. It was, you know... Dick Grayson was back, you know, doing his thing, but I still felt like, okay, what are we doing with him then? Like, now he's back, 
we now have a new direction for DC Comics. What are we going to do with this character? And then, and then, they announced that the new creative team would be Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo. Tom Taylor is my favorite writer currently going in comics right now. Right now. Purely. Tom Taylor is it for me. And when they announced that he would be taking over the reins of my second favorite DC Comics character, the most important DC Comics character ever created, I just... I flipped out of my chair. I was like, I was over the moon. I still am. I'm very excited about this book. The reviews for it so far have been stellar. You know, we're taking a creative team in Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo who have made magic. They were the main team, the driving force behind the Injustice books, which even though it's dealing with a flawed universe or some of the best DC Comics storytelling we've gotten. Tom Taylor gave us Deceased, which is another out-of-continuity story giving us versions of these characters that are so true to the idea of their characters that made many people, myself included, want to see him working on more in continuity stuff and they decided to say they decided to give this a bone dc comics did when they were like okay fine tom taylor bruno redondo you get to deal with suicide squad and even though i was like ah, suicide squad man i'm not interested in this but i love these creators i will read this book for them they gave us a suicide squad run for the ages this is a suicide squad if you haven't read the taylor redondo suicide squad book do yourself a favor go back and read it it is incredible just completely recontextualizing the spirit of the suicide squad as a team giving us a brand new style of suicide squad storytelling it is fantastic go back check it out um but then you know, them taking this book and turning it into something unexpected and in incredibly engaging basically told DC Comics, okay, we can give them something else. And they decided to put up the spotlight and throw out some wingdings and give us a Tom Taylor, Bruno Redondo Nightwing book. Now, Tom Taylor has a circus performer background with... Uh, a very unique skill set that allows him to give us a a writer who has an insight on how Dick Grayson works on a fundamental level that we haven't gotten before. Bruno Redondo is one of the best artists in comics right now, if not the last 10-15 years. And having the two of them on a book with one of my favorite characters of all time is a recipe for greatness also the idea of giving him a dog dealing with all these new things in bloodhaven putting the focus back on dick grayson as a person i am just ready for this book to knock my socks off and i cannot wait to pick up this book issue number 78 which kicks off this brand new run is the place to start and it drops today technically as of this recording it dropped yesterday but it is here 
It is here. It is ready. Go out. Go read it. Enjoy it. This is going to be a book that we are going to be able to sit with for a good long while. Tom Taylor's already said they're on the book for the long haul. They have a story to tell with Dick Grayson, and I cannot wait to see where they go. But it is not the number one book. It is not the number one book of the year, and I think just by process of elimination of the books that I've talked about each week, of the books that I have uh, heaped praise after praise after praise for, you knew what number one had to be. You knew what it had to be. Number one is, of course, Daredevil. Daredevil, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Cicchetto. It's here. This is the number one book you should be reading in 2021, bar none, period, end of story. Synopsis goes like this. Matt Murdock has clawed his way through physical therapy, but his near-death experience that nearly left him crippled has left its mark on him. Reacquainted with pain and fear, the devil is back in Hell's Kitchen, but is the man who returned to the rooftops the same man who fell off them? This book, man. First off, this book was number two last year, and of course, upgraded. It just made the leap from number two to number one. It is the runner-up no longer. Daredevil is my number one book you should be reading period. It is a fantastic story, just in general. Not just a Marvel book. It is Marvel's best comic going right now. Strength to strength, issue to issue, pillar to post, pound for pound. It is the best book that Marvel is currently putting out because it understands the character, it understands the world, and it understands what a Daredevil story needs to be. This is the most excited I've been for a Daredevil run since the Mark Wade run, which is my favorite run of all time when it comes to that character. And this book takes its two leads, that being Matt Murdock, of course, and Wilson Fisk, the Kingpin, and takes them each on a ride that very rarely actually intersects over the course of the past, what is it, 28 issues. These two are able to have their own long-running narrative throughout the story without crossing each other with the very few exceptions and the way that Chip Zdarsky is able to craft this story which makes both of them both of their journeys so compelling and engaging absolutely boggles the mind we're all used to Chip Zdarsky being a little bit on the wacky side you know the spectacular Spider-Man run which I personally love his Howard the Duck run legendary Star-Lord all of these books that are fun and exciting and have so much um, energy and comedy jam-packed into them, this is not the writer that you would expect to take on a tortured character like Matt Murdock. And if he does, a lot of people, myself included, would assume that he would lean more towards the Mark Wade, a little bit more swashbuckling-style storytelling. But no, Chip Zdarsky, if anything, has taken this character and found the healthiest balance between the Mark Wade... Um, fantasy swashbuckling style and the Brian Michael Bendis 
Matt Murdock at his worst depression storytelling and has found the perfect balance between them. Starting off with a plotline that runs through the book all the way through into the current issue. This story has layers upon layers of storytelling, giving Matt Murdock pathos, giving him a story that he can really sink his teeth into, and taking Matt Murdock on a ride that he hasn't been on before. Sure, there are familiar trappings. You know, Matt goes to prison. He deals with the kingpin. He deals with, you know, the bureaucracy of the corruption in the police department. But we have new trappings, new, um, what is it called? Uh, Context. You're getting new context with all of these very familiar tropes. Getting new characters that pop up. We get the reemergence of Typhoid Mary. Are you kidding me? Um, if you want to uh, hear me go more in depth about the Chip Zdarsky run, you can check back in the archives. I did a two-part December uh, celebration with uh, special guest Matt Draper who has become a uh, fairly recurring special guest on the podcast. Shout out to him. His YouTube channel is fantastic. Uh, We talked all about what works about this run and why it might be one of the best modern Daredevil runs of all time. And I just think that this, this book has done just as much for Wilson Fisk as it has done for Matt Murdock. You know, Wilson Fisk at the beginning of the story is mayor of New York. He is in a position of power that we have never seen for him before, and he is dealing with the idea that even if you're mayor of New York, there are still going to be people who are punching way above your weight class. And him having to deal with the strom winds, him having to deal with, you know, Uh, corruption and the political dealings that he has to go through is just as compelling as all of the rooftop shenanigans that Matt Murdock gets into. And watching the two of them grow and change over the course of the story is incredibly satisfying. But not only that, you get to see the effects that they have on the greater world around them. Hell's Kitchen, like any great Daredevil story, has a character all of its own. Hell's Kitchen is its own character in this story. You get to see the ebb and flow of the neighborhood. You get to see the ebb and flow of New York City, how things change and evolve around them, whether they are going from very intimate and focused stories dealing with uh, Mad and Wilson, or if they are crossing over into bigger stories like the recent King in Black uh, storyline. Those tie-ins still work within the context of the actual story. You know, you'll get sometimes these books where they have to be tie-ins for a greater event, and it feels hella out of place. But even the most fantastical tie-ins that we get for this story still allow the overarching narrative of the redemption of Matt Murdock to take place without detracting from the main narrative. And it's just, it's so good. It's so good. Um, Setting up villains and setting up characters that have far-reaching implications, not just in the lives of our two main protagonists, but also to every single supporting character in this uh, 
in this world. They also brought back Kirsten McDuffie, which is an instant plus for me. Recently, in the uh, in the most recent arc, Kirsten McDuffie reappeared. They had a one more day, which brought us Matt's brother Mike, who was an invention of Matt and is now an in and is now a real character. Um, just going from strength to strength, talking about the strength of the character, talking about the strength of the narrative. Chip Zdarsky is doing some of the best work of his career, and he is aided by some incredible artists. Marco Cicchetto is just on another level from pretty much everybody else working at Marvel right now. He is just firing on all cylinders, and he is putting out consistently, from issue to issue, the best work consistently throughout all of these Marvel books. We also had, for a few issues, uh, Jorge Fornes, who is crushing it. He is a star on the rise, and he was perfect to fill in the artist's role while Marco Cicchetto was otherwise occupied. And all of this isn't even mentioning our brand new third protagonist, someone who came a little bit late in the game, but just like any great ongoing story, like a great TV show, introducing a third protagonist and giving us a brand new, um, a brand new protagonist that gives us a world of possibilities when it comes to storylines, um, character moments, character development, Electra. Electra comes to the game a little bit late in the story, but she is now our protagonist. She is the new Daredevil. We are putting her, just like Wilson Fisk, just like Matt Murdock, in a position she has never been in before. And we are watching the, not just growth and development, but also almost the redemption of Electra Nachos as a character, as a killer, as an assassin. She is going through an incredible character rebirth in this new role as Daredevil. And I just cannot get enough of this book. Week to week, it is consistently the strongest thing that Marvel has going. And if you are a fan of Marvel Comics, if you are a fan of Daredevil, if you are a fan of comics in general, you owe it to yourself to pick up this book. And you can do so. The next issue of this book comes out, issue number 29, on April 14th. So that is, I believe, um, one, two, I think it's the same week? No. Um, it is going to be coming out uh, four weeks from now. You got a whole month to get yourself caught up on this book. You've got a whole month to get yourself into this brand new era for Daredevil. And just enjoy the comic, guys and dolls. It is so freaking good. You will not regret getting into the Chip Zdarsky Marco Cicchetto Daredevil run. I promise you that. But that is going to do it for the top five comics you should be reading in 2021. Going to recap real quick here. At number five, we have Far Sector. Number four, we have Thor. Number three, we have X-Men. Number two, we have the debuting Nightwing. And number one, taking the top spot, is Daredevil. But overall, whether you read one of these books on the list, whether you read all of the books on this list, including the honorable mentions, you should check those out too. Uh, 2021 is shaping up to be a fantastic year for comics.
It is now time for another Wild Card Weekly Review. This is where I take something and I review it. Uh, right now, we are reviewing the first three episodes of Superman and Lois. Oh, man. I can't tell you how excited I am to be talking about Superman. You know how much I love Superman, but it has been a good long while since I've been excited to talk about a live-action Superman property, and holy shit, guys, Superman and Lois is fantastic. Um, I say that with all of the um, sincerity and none of the cynicism in the world, just like Superman would. Um, We're going to be covering the first three episodes, that being Pilot, Heritage, and the Perks of Not Being a Wallflower. Overall, getting into this series, I was very nervous. We'd heard all of the things going on with the series. You know, we've been waiting for a good Superman property, I think. You know, Man of Steel is what it is. And if you go back and you listen to our Into the Snyderverse uh, series, I still am a Man of Steel apologist. But it's been a while since I could talk about and be excited about a Superman property without having to give caveats or without having to uh, apologize for it. And Superman and Lois is just fantastic. Let's go ahead and just talk about it. Starting off with the pilot series premiere, um, within the first two minutes, three minutes tops, I just sat there watching this show and saying to myself, holy shit, it's Superman. Like, the way that they start this series off, okay, first off, production value, through the roof. Holy shit. You know, you would be forgiven for not thinking this is an Arrowverse series because of the sheer difference in production value between this show and the rest of the Arrowverse. Not saying that the Arrowverse is bad, but, like, there is a very clear distinction that makes this a bit more cinematic, I would say. And you know what I'm going to talk about. That opening scene, man, going through his backstory, going through him meeting Lois for the first time. That freaking Fleischer suit, man. Fleischer Superman. Like, come on. Like, you know how much I love that suit. And just having him, having that scene where he's, you know rescues the kid, sets the green car down, he's got the Fleischer suit, it looks incredible, he jogs up and gives the kid his hat, and the kid's like, oh, cool suit, he's like, thanks, my mom made it for me, just flies off, it's like, oh, that's Superman, dude, that's Superman, like, oh my god, it's so good, and having a Superman who isn't afraid to smile, who isn't afraid to be happy, like, such a difference, just a world of difference from a lot of the the Superman media we've gotten recently. And I am over the moon about it. I absolutely freaking love it. But as the story goes, I mean, we find out that they have two kids together, him and Lois do, uh, Jordan and Jonathan, who just might as well just be new characters. Um, I get each of them is, you know, Jonathan for his Earth dad and Jordan for Jor-El, but... Either way, um, the two kids are fine. Um, One thing I do have to say is that starting from the first episode on, um, they go back to Smallville, of course, after the death of Ma Kent, and they end up moving there. But 
we get one of my favorite characters, Lana Lang, who seems to be in a completely different show. Like, Lana Lang in this series, I don't know if it's just the direction or the writing or whatever, but she is she is stepping out of a Sopranos show. Like, she feels like she is a mob wife. And I kind of love it. It's, it's, it's bonkers, and it doesn't make any sense, but I kind of love it. Um, but the thing about it, and the thing that it starts off, or really, like, sets precedent for in the first episode that carries through the other two is that we are getting serious rebirth vibes here superman rebirth as you know is my favorite superman uh ongoing for many many reasons some of which i will probably get into one day i would love to do an episode just on the superman rebirth series and you know i'm going to eventually but getting those same vibes from this show immediately endears me to it you know we get these family dynamics that you know you don't necessarily associate with superman but you get to enjoy them because it because the nature of the show gives them room to breathe yes we are dealing with these two kids who are going to get into high school hijinks that's just it 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 is what it is it's it's still the cw after all but jonathan as a character who doesn't have powers jordan as a character who does have powers but also has social anxiety disorder it's it's an inspired choice that I wasn't expecting, and it has resulted in some really cool storytelling that I don't think one would expect to see in a Superman story. And let me talk about Lois for a second. Like, Lois Lane. Betsy Tulloch, as I've talked about before on the podcast, was never, like, my choice for Lois Lane. For some reason, whenever she would be on screen, in cameos and stuff like that, I never really got her. I never really felt Lois Lane from her. And it sucks because I think that she has all the tools, but I never really got that Lois vibe from her until this show. Like, holy shit, what a difference actually giving her time to be on the show makes to endear her as Lois Lane. She is Lois. She has as good a Lois Lane as we've gotten. And she just goes as we've as I've said before on this podcast, from strength to strength to strength, she is killing it. And Betsy Tulloch has defined herself as one of my favorite Lois Lanes. And Tyler Hoechlin, or Hecklin, however you want to pronounce it, as you already know, is one of my favorite Superman of all time. Period. Bar none. But um, this episode really kind of establishes everything. The move to Smallville, out of Metropolis, the dynamic with the kids... And also, you know, Superman fights Master Chief. <laughs> he fights this character who we've never really seen before. And at the end of the episode is revealed to be Captain Luthor? Question mark, question mark, question mark. As I have in my notes. Um, but overall, just a fantastic way to kick off this show. A brand new era in Superman you know, television storytelling. And I absolutely loved it. And that carried over into the second episode, Heritage. Now, this uh, episode kind of focuses on Clark taking the newly minted superpowered Jordan to the Fortress of Solitude to run some tests, figure out uh, how much of um, Superman's powers may become available to Jordan so that they can start training him. But the only thing that I really got out of the uh, Fortress of Solitude stuff is that Jor-El is a dick. Like, this version of Jor-El just sucks. I don't know what to tell you. Like, 
there's no empathy there's no kindness there's he's very alien which if that's what they're going for cool but it's just it's not really for me and not only that just making it this whole thing about oh he is you know not worth your time because he's only you know half kryptonian and all that i just i didn't i didnn't like that that is the one thing that i just i was like ah jor-el's a dick like i don't want to i don't need more of him but this episode also got a little bit more into high school antics. There's stuff with the football team. There's stuff with bullying. And it's it's all of the CW stuff that you would expect. But because, you know, I would rather the kids deal with it than, you know, bring that kind of like CW-esque drama into Lois and Clark's, you know, main narratives. I'm okay with it because that allows Lois and Clark to do their thing. You know, we get... Morgan Edge, we get a villain for Lois, who is basically great value Lex Luthor. <laughs> He's Walmart brand Lex Luthor. Um, and in the comics, Morgan Edge deals with inner gang, you know, which deals with apocalypse, all that stuff, dark side. But the big thing coming out of this, um, in the first episode, Clark gets fired because they're downsizing from the Daily Planet, which prompts the whole move to Smallville. And in this episode, because Morgan Edge completely edits and rewrites her story, Lois quits the Daily Planet. I'm kind of sad that we're not going to be getting more Daily Planet stuff, but I get for the purposes of the story, we got to move into Smallville. So Lois quits in one of the best, like most Lois Lane scenes where she hands Morgan Edge an envelope. She says, this is the best writing I've done in years at this place. And it just, he opens the envelope and it just says, I quit like a big middle finger. If, if I could just have like this giant middle finger, just come out of the letter into Morgan Edge's face. That's the only way it could have been better. Like I really, really dig this. Uh, we also got a little bit more focus on what's going on with, uh, master, uh, Captain Luthor, um, he is searching for kryptonite. And who has a stockpile of kryptonite? Why, General Lane, of course, because of course he does. He's stockpiling kryptonite um, because that's who General Lane is. He's a dick. Um, and we get to see just, you know, that uneasy, you know, alliance that Superman has with General Lane and the two of them, you know, basically agreeing to disagree on the use of this kryptonite. And we also get a quick little tease that Captain Luthor might be from Earth-3, maybe? With some evil Superman? He is definitely from the multiverse. There, you know, there's a shot of uh, the Superman black suit from the Elseworlds crossover, but who knows what the context is for that. I certainly don't. So uh, we will just have to see exactly what they are doing with that. But overall, really dug it, really excited to learn more about Captain Luthor. And then finally in episode three, Perks of Not Being a Wallflower, um, this is the high school episode. This is the episode that focuses on Jordan and Jonathan. Um, Jordan joins the football team after feeling kind of after feeling bullied and wanting to, you know, get out there more. Jonathan gets to be best brother in this episode, um, even though I we all kind of know where Jonathan's going to go as a character. But he, you know, he sticks up for his brother. This is a great brother show for the two of them just to show their closeness, their relationship. Really enjoyed it. Uh, we also got to see some more uh, Lana Sopranos drama. <laughs> 
uh, we do find out that Lana is kind of dealing with a lot, and so is her daughter, Sarah. Um, I didn't mention this, but they have, you know, Lana's husband, whatever, firefighter Cushing. Um, he's, he's he's a dick. Um, Sarah is dealing with some stuff. She's the love interest for Jordan, and the two of them are dealing with all of their stuff. Lana is learning that, you know, she might have a problem, and they're, you know... Being a mob wife has, you know, some negative. <laughs> I can't. I can't get over it. She's just. She's a different character. I just. It's dumb. It's dumb. I love it though. It's. It's ridiculous. But um, the big, you know, kind of action set piece for this episode was Subject Eleven versus Superman. So fucking cool. Like so, so cool. I really, really dug it. You know, there's a moment where. You know, we get that whole, we saw it in WandaVision, um, where, you know, someone's getting choked out, and the superhero, boom, busts in and takes the attacker away. But this one did it differently. You know, Superman bursts in through the wall, and we get the slow-mo moment, where he's, like, pushing this guy off of Lois. Just a really cool, you know, knock-down, drag-out brawl between this super strong person against Superman. And then we get, you know, Superman defeats him, runs him off. Later on, we see that, you know, Subject 11 driving. He's like, yeah, you know, Superman was there. I screwed up. And then there's this lady who I believe was Morgan Edge's assistant. Um, and she's just kind of standing there in the road. And he's like, oh, what's going on? And she just, like, uses laser vision and blows up the car, killing this character, I'm assuming. And she, like, flips open her phone. She's like, yep. It's done. I'm going to bring in a team. So we're definitely dealing with some intergang stuff. Um, intergang is oncoming. Just get ready for it. Overall, all three episodes were super strong. I cannot believe that Superman live-action media is this good right now. In a world of cynicism, in a world of discourse, Superman and Lois continues to be an incredible show. And I cannot wait to watch more! So that is going to do it for the Wild Card Weekly Review. Next week, we are jumping into Falcon and the Winter Soldier with our good brother, Malcolm Russell Nelson. That's right. I mentioned it before. We are going to be doing every single week talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I will be joined on the weekly review by Malcolm. We're going to be covering the whole show from start to finish, all six episodes. Cannot wait for you to uh, check out these discussions that we're going to have. And um, I'm really excited to just watch me some Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So tune in next week for the kickoff of that new weekly review. But for now, we're going to roll right on into this week's comics countdown welcome back to this week's comics countdown this is the segment of our show where i talk about the comics that i think you should be picking up this week whether it's at your local comic book shop on comiXology or however you get your comics these are the ones i think you should definitely take a look at but before we get into this week's comics we're going to take a look back at last week's comics with the geeks playing pick of the week of last week and for me it was a toss-up between two fantastic books but in the end i decided to give it to batman urban legends number one um this book was fantastic i really really enjoy this new anthology style that they're starting to go there's so many characters in the dc universe and having kind of a dedicated book to telling stories about 
these characters who may not get their own stories really spoke to me. I absolutely adored the Jason Todd story written by Chip Zdarsky with art by Eddie Barrows. Really dug it. I'm not usually a Red Hood kind of guy, but man, did I love me some... Man, did I love me some of that story. I really enjoyed it. All of the stories were great. The Harley Quinn story, the Outsider story. I just, I was over the moon about it. I even enjoyed the Grifter story for what it was. Um, I just really dug it. I think it's a fantastic book, and I can't wait for the next issue. But that's last week's books. Let's talk about this week's books. This week, we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight books for you to check out. And we are kicking things off with... Iron Man number seven, written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Cafu. I've been really enjoying Iron Man. And as we are starting to get into what seems like the climax of this arc, um, Tony's been reunited with Rhodey. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Overclock. Iron Man and his small band of allies go interstellar as they pursue Korvac to the farthest reaches of the galaxy. Even as the villainous android intellect tries to telepathically lure Hellcat and Tony toward his bizarre utopian visions. But after an unexpected left turn leaves Iron Man on a remote and uncharted planet, Korvac might take the opportunity to blow Shellhead's vulnerable friends out of the stars once and for all. So I'm very excited to check this out. Looking forward to seeing, you know, this, what seemed like a very grounded and back-to-basics approach for Iron Man head back into space. We're going to see what happens. Next up, we have Iron Fist, Heart of the Dragon number three. This is written by Larry Hama with art by David Wachter. Um, This is a fantastic, just classic Iron Fist story. And I have been really digging the last two issues. And the cliffhanger of last issue was very exciting. We're going to see some uh, some Wakanda versus some Heavenly Cities action. Cannot wait to check this out. Let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. The War of the Heavenly Cities comes to Wakanda. Zagombo manifests over Wakanda, and with it, an army of the undead. Other cities filled with hordes of undead and Marvel villains appear all over the world. Can Iron Fist stop the worldwide calamity? Will he discover who's behind this deadly scourge? So yeah, the cover of this I just want to bring up because that is very clearly Adora Milaje about to try and attack a dragon. I am I am all over this. I've been really enjoying this book so far and I think you will too. Next up we have our latest Infinite Frontier book. This is Justice League number 59 written by our good friend Michael Brian Michael Bendis as well as a backup with Rom V, an art by David Marquez, and the backup by Zermonico. Um, this is our brand new Infinite Frontier Justice League. Uh, this is going to be the status quo for the series going forward. I was not super impressed with the Infinite Frontier number zero part of this, besides Superman being just wholesome as all heck. Um Shazadam. I don't know what else to tell you, but um, this is going to be interesting. I am a fan of this lineup, but I am still, I don't know how to feel about Hippolyta being on the team. Um, Shazadam either, rolling my eyes four times in the, the back of my skull. But 
Green Arrow and Black Canary are back on the team, so that's always a plus. Uh, we'll just have to see. Let's go ahead and jump into the synopsis here. Prisms slash Return to Caledonia. Writer Brian Michael Bendis reunites with artist David Marquez for a new star-studded Justice League featuring Superman, Batman, The Flash, Hawkgirl, Aquaman, Hippolyta, new DC powerhouse Naomi, and is that Black Adam? Superman is leading the charge to reinvent the Justice League, and at the same time, a new cosmic-powered threat arrives from Naomi's homeworld to rule the Earth. And in the backup story, dark days lie ahead for the new Justice League Dark. Zatanna and John Constantine take a road trip, only to discover horror around the bend as a friend and sometimes foe is reborn in fire. A legend is destroyed and another takes a horrible turn, as Merlin reveals the beginning of a new blood-drenched plot for all humankind. So I am looking forward to this. I will at least pick this book, this first initial book up again. I have made my uh, my stance on the Bendis DC run very clear. So I am willing to give this a shot, if for nothing else, than for Green Arrow and Black Canary. Next up, we have Champions number five. This is written by Eve L. Ewing with art by Bob Quinn. I've been really enjoying the Champions Outlawed storyline so far, and it looks like we're going to be heading into a bit of a, uh, at least if not the climax, then pretty close to it. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Outlawed part five. The Champions are done running. The time to stand up and fight is here, but can they win when an entire government is aligned against them? And if they can't, where do the Marvel Universe's next generation of heroes go from here? So yeah, it kind of sounds like everything's coming to a head. Really looking forward to this. Can't wait to pick this up. Next up, we have Captain America Anniversary Tribute Number 1. This is written by Stan Lee. Jack Kirby, and Joe Simon, with art by Adam Hughes, Sarah Pacelli, Patrick Gleason, Mahmoud Azrar, Joe Bennett, Greg Land, Mark Bagley, Adam Kubert, John Cassidy, Carlos Pacheco, Bitch Geese, Terry Dodson, David Lappin, R.B. Silva, Stephanie Hans, Alex Ross, Paco Medina, Jesus Saez, Ibon Coelho, Daniel Acuna, Chris Somney, Salvador LaRocca, Steve Epting, Lenil Francis Yu, Declan Shalvey, Jim Chung, Elena Casagrande, Valerio Shidi, Ray Anthony Height, Pepe Larraz, Aletha Martinez, Pere Perez, Inhyuk Lee, Greg Smallwood, Carmen Carnero, G- Kim Jacinto, Marguerite Savage, Javier Garone, Rachel Stott, Juan Cabal, Natasha Bustos, Kay Zama, Joshua Casera, Peach Momoko, Federico Vincentini, Steve McNiven, and Mark Brooks. Oh man, that's a lot of artists. <laughs> but um, we kind of covered what this was. Uh, This is going to be a tribute to Captain America to celebrate his 80th anniversary. And this is essentially going to be the exact same as both the uh, first issue of Captain America, Captain America, Captain America Comics number one, as well as Avengers number four, where he reappeared and joined the Avengers, just with every page done by a different artist. So uh, all the writing remains the same. They're just kind of 
recontextualizing it, revisualizing it, giving us a nice coat of paint over some classic America, Captain America comics. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Captain America celebrates 80 years of battling tyranny this month. And what better way to celebrate than by having a cadre of Marvel's best artists redraw and modernize Captain America's origin and the debut of the Red Skull from Captain America Comics number 1, as well as Cap's return in the Marvel Age from Avengers number 4. The legendary stories that change the course of comic book history are presented in an all-new way for the current generation of Marvel fans. So I wanted to put this up higher on the list, but um, because it is essentially just a reprint with new art, it fell down a couple spots for me, but I'm very excited to pick this up nonetheless. Very much looking forward to this. Next up, we have Superman Red and Blue number one. Speaking of anthologies and speaking of stories I'm really excited about, this is the latest in the DC Comics color anthologies. We have Batman Black and White, Harley Quinn Red, White, and Black, I think. Uh, Wonder Woman Black and Gold coming. And here, Superman Red and Blue. This has a host of creators on it. We've got Marguerite Bennett, John Ridley, Dan Waters, and Brandon Easton, as well as Wes Craig on writing duties. With Wes Craig also being an artist alongside Jill Thompson, Clayton Henry, Steve Lieber, Danny Gary Frank on uh, art duties, like I said. And I'm very much excited about this. I think one of the strengths of these DC anthology books is that you get to tell stories with these characters that you wouldn't otherwise get to in a full-on arc or main book format. And getting these kind of short stories featuring these characters allows you to kind of distill the characters into what um, they are supposed to be. And I just, I love the idea of bringing that to Superman. Feels very Superman the Animated Series to me, and I'm very excited to pick this up. So let's go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. This new series presents fresh new visions of the Man of Steel in his two signature colors of red and blue. Around the world, everyone knows that when they see a red and blue streak in the sky, it's not a bird, it's not a plane, it's Superman. To start things off, Academy Award-winning writer of DC Future State, the next Batman, John Ridley, joins artist Clayton Henry to tell a story of Clark Kent as he confronts a villain who still haunts him, in a story that shows what Superman can mean to a whole country. Then, Brandon Easton and Steve Lieber take readers to the streets of Metropolis to show how one hero can mean so much to an individual in pain. Plus, writer-artist Wes Craig tells a tale of Superman's early days and the man who inspired him to become the hero he is today. And Marguerite Bennett and artist Jill Thompson give us a tale of teenage Clark Kent, while Dan Waters and Danny, the team behind Coffinbound, bring us an outlandish fable about what happens when all colors are stolen. So this sounds fun. This sounds like just Superman bite-sized stories that I think all of us can enjoy. Very much looking forward to this book. Next up, we have uh, two books that I talked about earlier on this episode. First off, Thor number 13, written by Donnie Cates with art by Nick Klein. First off, I just want to talk about the cover for a second. I love this Thor costume. I wasn't a huge fan of it when the series started, when it was very much still Herald of Galactus version. But this, you know, the tweaks here and there to the costume have made this one of my favorite Thor designs. Very excited about this. Let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. 
Prey, Part 5. A vengeful Donald Blake, Thor's enchanted axe Yarnbjorn, and the World Tree. Not a good combination. With Thor still nowhere to be found, Blake is about to finish what he started, the end of Asgard. Meanwhile, Valkyrie manages to track down the long-absent Odin, but he is not the same Allfather he once was. Can Odin rise to the occasion and help save his son and Asgard? And who will help Lady Sif and the others in Dimension Blood? Surprises abound as the gods face the fight of their eternal lives in the penultimate chapter of Prey. So yeah, I guess that tells us we've got one more issue of Prey left, which I'm excited about. I've been loving this arc. Um, Give me more Throg. Give me more Throg. I love that. (laughs) But I'm very excited to see uh, Thor actually get out of this weird hellish dimension and finally throw down with Donald Blake. Fingers crossed we get that confrontation. Cannot wait to pick this up. But the big book of the week, the book you knew had to be in the spot, is, of course... Nightwing number 78, written by Tom Taylor, art by Bruno Redondo, my most anticipated book. Um, I just am so excited about this. Let's just go ahead and dive into the synopsis here. Leaping into the Light, Part 1. Nightwing is back, and his drive to keep Bloodhaven safe has never been stronger. But his adopted city has elected a new mayor with the last name Zuko. When Nightwing enlists Batgirl's help in investigating the politician bearing the same name as the man who murdered his parents, she unearths details that will shock and fundamentally change the hero. I love this. I'm very excited about this book. I'm excited about him diving into more uh, Tony Zuko stuff. Um, I'm excited to reunite Dick and Babs. I just, I love the character of Nightwing. I love Bloodhaven. I love that we are finally getting back to basics. He's back in blue. He is going to be Nightwing again. Cannot recommend this book enough. This is a book, this is the Infinite Frontier book to jump on, at least in my estimation. So that does it for this week's comics countdown. To recap, we have Iron Man number seven, Iron Fist Heart of the Dragon number three, Justice League number 59, Champions number five, Captain America Anniversary Tribute number one, Superman Red and Blue number one, Thor number 13, and Nightwing number 78. And that is going to bring us to the wrap-up. If this is your first time joining us on the Geeksplain podcast and you like what I do here, please feel free to subscribe on the podcasting platform of your choice and give us a rating and review. Uh, Reviews, subscriptions really help us out, really helps the podcast out, kind of raises our stock in the podcasting space and gets us out and into the orbit of listeners just like you. We drop new episodes every single Wednesday. I am incredibly proud of this podcast and I would love to give it to anyone who enjoys geek culture. Also, if you would be so kind, if you give us a five-star rating review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever you want to call it, I will read your review here live on the podcast. And in celebration, it seems, of our three-year anniversary, as well as 150 episodes, we got not one, but two new reviews to read this week. I want to give a big thank you to, first off, Don Swanson, who gave us a review that is entitled Love the Podcast, which is awesome. Thank you very much, Don. 
Uh, the review reads as thus, but they need to put some... Res- okay, so I guess love the podcast was the first sentence, essentially. So love the podcast, but they need to put some respect on the Aquaman movie. It's art. High art. A diamond in the rough that is the DCEU. Good pod, though. Don, we are going to have to respectfully agree to disagree, but um, I'm glad that you love it. I'm glad that you love it, and I hope you're as excited to see the uh, the Snyder Cut and see what they do with Jason Momoa. Um, we'll see what happens, but um, but yeah, respectfully agree to disagree, but I, I am glad that you love it. And then we also got a review from Doug. Doug, for every kind of geek, gave us a review here uh, entitled Chock Full of Heart and Geeky Charm. Thank you very much, Doug. Um, the review reads as thus. Whether you're a newcomer or a longtime fan of geek culture, I can't recommend this podcast enough. Eric gives every segment an incredible enthusiasm and performative flair. Thank you. Whether it's spotlighting a subject that's close to his heart or recapping the weekly news. Some personal favorites are Eric's retrospective on Fraction and Aja's Hawkeye and the spectacular Dare Sember specials with Matt Draper. Those are some of my favorite episodes as well. Uh, brimming with positivity and insight, Geek Explain is the perfect guided tour through the many worlds of geek culture. Thank you very much, Doug and Don, for joining our four horsemen and turning you into the sensational six. Uh, we'll see if that sticks. I didn't want to go with Sinister Six because I feel like that's that's a bad thing, right? So Sensational Six for now. We'll see what happens later on. But thank you very much to all six of the reviews that we have gotten. Uh, joining the likes of Seafire ND, Josh from Panels to Pixels, Matt Draper, and of course, Burrito Man 88 Thank you very much to all six of our reviewers. And I can't wait to hear your review next. Um, also, if you want to be part of our Geeksplain mailbag, if you have a question for me, you want to get my opinion on something, maybe a quick pitch or some recommendations on comics to read, you can send emails to me. Uh, you can send them to geeksplained at gmail.com, put mailbag in the subject header. I'll read them here on the podcast, and I will answer any questions you have. And then finally, if you want to follow us, you want to keep up to date on the podcast, want to keep update up to date with me you can follow us on the twitter and the instagram at geeksplained pod that's at geeksplained p-o-d uh that's pretty much going to do it for this week's episode i am very excited as a comic book fan for this year there's a ton of stuff that is out right now that is just firing on all cylinders and we've got a ton more stuff to look forward to in the coming year so if you're a comic book fan uh this is a great time for you uh definitely go out pick up some of the books that i talked about today pick up other books if you have books you want to recommend to me feel free to do that whether it's through social media whether it's through our mailbag i always love getting recommendations for good comics and speaking of good comics next week's episode is our spotlight of the month every month we do a spotlight and in celebration of not just the 80th anniversary of captain america but also the release of falcon and the winter soldier we're going to be doing a very special spotlight on the Invaders series. There was a 12-issue Invaders series last year. I cannot wait to cover it with you, so look forward to that next week. Same geek time, same geek channel. But for now, for Geek Explained, this is Eric Azana. Thank you very much for listening. Stay safe, and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.